Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. So we are halfway through our interview series where I have been in conversation with some incredibly inspiring folks, and we've been talking about how we can decolonize ourselves and decolonize our lives. I really hope that you have been enjoying these interviews. I believe that these are conversations that we need to be having, and these are women that I believe need to be highlighted. They are so inspiring, not because of what they say, but because of how they live. It's because of the actions they take. These are folks who are truly not only talking the talk, but walking the walk as well. So we have two more interviews slated for the month. And at the very end of the month, I am announcing something very big. I have been hinting at something for a while. It's a big pivot in wholehearted coaching. And on the final episode of this month, I will finally be revealing what that pivot is, what inspired it, and what's going to be happening next. And then we're taking a little break for the summer. We'll be back in September with new wholehearted content. But my intention with this series was to leave you with ideas and conversations that you could come back to. And I really hope that you're finding these conversations just as enriching and nourishing as I did when I was doing them. So this week, we have someone whom I love and adore. She is someone who I connected with over Instagram. We are now colleagues and friends, and she is what I call hashtag future goals. You'll hear about that in the interview, but this is someone who I really am inspired by and look up to in all of the ways. Marla Teolia is the founder and CEO of Culture Shift Agency, a consulting and coaching firm whose mission is to advance the holistic leadership development of women of color and their allies. Over the years, Marla works one-on-one with individual women as well as groups by leading trainings, retreats, sister circles, and coaching programs with dozens of institutions and organizations, including Meta, Google, Pfizer, the list goes on and on. 
She is a seasoned practitioner with over 20 years of leadership development and group facilitation experience. What I love about Marla is that she keeps it so real. She shows you the beauty, and she also shows you the difficulty and the challenge that maybe created that beauty. In our conversation, what really stood out to me is the power of community. When we think of decolonizing our lives, that is not a solo mission. That is a mission, that is an endeavor, that is a journey that we take in community. Marla shares so openly and vulnerably her story of decolonizing. And honestly, her definition of decolonizing to me is the one that I'm holding most dear. I love how she defined it. I really can't wait for you to hear this conversation and to get to know Marla better. I am so excited to introduce this community to someone who, to me, is like a light. She is a light on the interwebs, on social media. And what is so wild, we were talking a little bit before the this podcast recording, and I was like, we've met in person. And Marla and I actually have never met in person. That is how magnetic and electrifying and full her presence is that even just over DMs and phone conversations, it feels like you're there in person with her. So Marla, welcome to the podcast. Marla describes herself as a holistic executive coach, a healing maven who helps women of color get free. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you. You have me teary. <laughs> it's such a joy to be here with you. Thank you so much. I definitely feel like your account was a page I was following and I loved your, just your messages and how clear it was and everything that you were doing to really support folks in term, on their own journey of like learning and unlearning. So I remember like when we just started first DMing and sending each other, it was like, Hey, let's go on a call. And so it's been a beautiful journey to meet you and connect with you. So thank you. I feel the same way. Marla's little corner of the internet and her corner of the world is such a vibrant one. And I think what really drew me to you was that you are someone who really walks the talk, like what you speak about, you so beautifully embody. And as someone who's maybe just a couple steps further along in life than I am, I have mm-hmm. seen you kind of create what I would call like hashtag very much future goals with your family, but also in your professional life. And it's really beautiful to kind of see what is possible, that it is possible to have a very full life in all the ways. I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that sentiment. I was talking to someone last week and actually another Instagram friend. Um, and we met in person because she lives out here in LA. And we met actually in a hood herbalism class and then I connected online. We were talking about like our lives, right? And this idea of what people see sometimes they're seeing slivers of your life, but when they see it, they could think that it comes from like all this privilege or that you've made it and it was easy. And I was telling like, you know, I'm a border girl from like, right, literally four miles from the border between the United States and Mexico, like solid working class family and really had to go on my own journey of decolonization 
and manifestation and reclaiming. And yeah, my life was friggin' fabulous, but it came through a lot of trial and error, work, healing, releasing, reclaiming, right? And like, I so believe in not grinding at this part of my life. And I also want to honor that I had, I came from a lot of grind and grit, you know, of having to work really hard to do that, right? Like as our people do. And so I just really appreciate that, which is honoring that you gave me (laughs) because I feel like it's come through, through a journey, through a life journey that has been beautiful and complicated and hard and easy and just all the things. I love that you brought that up because I, I want to kind of look at your journey. Here we are at, at this point in your journey, but even just getting glimpses into your life. I'm like, Marla has lived like nine lives. Like you, (laughs) generations of Marla, like you will post some like throwbacks of you. And I'm like, who, who, which, what, how? (laughs) So I would, you know, I want us to look at the journey First, you brought up the word decolonization, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. the theme of the series. And, you know, I think everyone has an idea of what it is. Mm -hmm. I think everyone who goes through that process has their own definition of what it is. And so I would love to hear how you define it and what that means to you of decolonizing yourself and your life. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that question. You know, I I've been sitting with what does decolonization mean? Because there's amazing scholars who do awesome work and have fabulous definitions of them. I think at our root, it's the most revolutionary act of being free, right? Spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, economically, culturally, right? And it touches every single aspect of our lives, manifesting and the spiritual practices that we take on, the foods we eat, the clothes we wear, what we see as possible in our own lives or in our partnerships or any kinds of family or social connections. When I started this journey of decolonizing for myself, it was really look at like when colonizers came to the Americas, what was known as the Americas, they really engaged in a psychic war on us, right? And that psychic war tore down our temples to build their own, around our rituals, our customs, our foods, our language, our way of dress. And over time, you know, out of protection, we had to acculturate, right? Like we had to be able to take on and keep what was ours in like a silent private place. And then over time, I feel like we took on the colonizers' rules and ways of beings and customs, and we took them on as our own. So decolonization is the process of waking up and bringing a critical lens and eye to where does that come from? Like my behaviors, my beliefs, just the way I operate in this world, my relationship to the land, to people. And how can I bring a critical eye to that with gentleness and compassion and then move forward in a way that is more conscious and awake and ultimately liberatory, right? So that I can make different choices. And that process like requires so much releasing and healing and also reclaiming to support re-indigenizing ourselves, right? A few years ago, it was early on in the pandemic. Actually, pre-pandemic, I had organized a retreat, co-organized it with a sister, uh, Stephanie Tobar, and we called it Reclaiming Our Medicine. And it was for Latinx and Indigenous identified folks. And it was going to be in Texas and it was going to be in person. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. So we moved it online to the following fall, like the fall of 2020. And during that time, I had met Felicia 
Cocotin Ruiz, who goes by Kitchen Curandera. So we were going to have her come in and do a workshop around food. And like food was one of my primary decolonization activities in the 90s for me. It was like food. It was spiritual practices. Like those two were really critical. And she led this beautiful workshop for us um, as food is like ancestral memory. And part of the workshop, she helped us understand that the differentiation between traditional foods and ancestral foods. So when we think of traditional foods as somebody who is Mexican, I could think of like carne asada. I mean, I don't eat meat, but like to the point of like, there might be like pork or beef or like uh, tacos and all these things that weren't actually, they weren't here on this continent, right? Like the Spaniards bought cattle. The cows were not here, right? That was, that is a colonized food for us. Wheat is a colonized food for us, right? So you think of like a pan dulce that is like made with wheat flour. That ultimately comes from, it's a traditional food, but it's not an ancestral food, right? And that difference of what is ancestral is that real reclaiming. We have to go almost like pre-conquest, and that is a journey, right? Because as Latinos, we are incredibly colonized and there's a way in which some of us don't, like there, there's so much anti-indigeneity within our communities, right? So to be that lineage breaker, the one who's saying, I know that there's a whole other route here that we're not tapping into is something that I've, journey I've been on for 30 plus years. I mean, I'm in my fifties. So it's not like <laughs> I started, <laughs> I started at birth, right? It's been a long journey and it's one that I still right? Still am on because that shit runs deep. That's so powerful, right? That I'm even thinking about that idea of traditional and ancestral and how much traditional is still entangled within our histories, right? Our histories of war and colonization and how much I think for me too, it's the idea of colonization, not just being about geography, but about the traditions and cultures and ways of thinking and just moving in the world, right? Absolutely. I mean, the first time I went to Spain was in 1995 or 96 with my mom and her church group. But it's my first time there. It was a great trip, but it was a hard trip, right? Like I also felt like there was a lot of racism towards our group. It was the first time where I was able to see, oh my God, I thought this was Mexican. This is Spanish. Like what I like elements of my culture, because I was now in the colonizer's home, I was like, <gasps> Oh my God, I could see the root, right? And that was really like right where my journey was had been starting. And so it was a very powerful moment for me to see, oh, this is traditional for us, but this is not ancestral. I want to talk about this idea of reclamation because I feel like how you live your life is very reclamatory from the food that you eat. Like Marla will post, I mean, I'm almost, I've thought of becoming <laughs> vegan because of Marla, yeah. maybe one day. But from that to, I think even, you know, I know you have a multi-generational household as well. And yeah. so I think yeah. I would love to hear kind of your journey of reclaiming, because I know that you have um, explored a lot of different spiritual ideas and spiritual paths and, and all of these things. What did that look like for you? Yeah, I, I can say like it officially started in uh, 1996 and um, I was in grad school at the time. As I mentioned, I'm from the border. I was raised in a very traditional Mexican family. I only girl in my family was the youngest uh, of that group. And I went away to college and I was the only one to go away to college, right? And so there's a way in which 
you get new ideas, right? When you're in college and like the world is opening up, the world is opening up for you in terms of people and culture. And like, you're just in a whole new environment, but I was still in California because I went to Berkeley. And so if you've been here in California, like Mexican and indigenous culture, it's like, it's, it's a thread in the culture, right? So you still can have access to all of your foods and people. And so when I went to grad school, I went to Columbia and that was a really big shock to my system on so many levels, right? So New York city, way many more people than I was used to. I was used to having a car. You're on the subway, like stack like sardines during commute time. I had an internship in Harlem. So by the, and I lived in Brooklyn. So it was like an hour commute, literally like wall to wall with people. This was 96. So Mexican culture was still very new, very new immigrant group. There was hard, it was hard to find good Mexican food. It was also really expensive, right? So there were just all these things. And then I go into this uh, predominantly white institution in a social work program that was predominantly white women and was othered deeply, right? And it had nothing to do with my intelligence or schoolwork or not. I still, I, I was a straight A student. That wasn't it. But a lot of the case studies reflected my family structures and my community, right? So there was a lot of not being seen as equal playing field. And I noticed really early on that I could feel like my mental health and emotional health were really taking a toll, like some anxiety and depression creeping in. And at that time, my then boyfriend, now husband, I was talking to him about it. And he's like, you know, I really feel like you should connect with this woman who went by the name of D back then. And she was like an elder in his community in the Fillmore in San Francisco, an elder Black woman. The first time I met her, you know, she asked me to say my name three times and she was a seer, right? So she could, and also a hear, so she could really hear, get information for you. And as soon as I talked, I, I didn't, she didn't even know me. And the first thing she said to me was, oh, your ancestors have been calling you. And I just started sobbing, right? Like it was like such a deep awareness of like what I was experiencing, that there was something that I needed to kind of go to. And through my work with her that lasted for decades, you know, she literally just passed away this last year. She supported me in reclaiming myself and really connecting to my power. What that looked like, she's like, I want you to set up an ancestor altar and meditate in front of it every day. And she gave me really specific rituals and practices. So that was my spiritual armor, right? Like I would not leave to go to the corner store bodega if I had not meditated. I had always enjoyed like traditional Mexican uh, dresses and shirts. And so I, I really just started to be like, oh, I need to just really reclaim myself. And part of that ancestral process was having this meditation altar. Like, I don't even know if I was meditating, right? Like it was, remember, this is 96. It was not in the same ethos culturally. Although in, I want to name like in Asian communities, like that was a practice and <laughs> was a meditation, but for me, it really wasn't. And so I ended up committing to that practice. And once you start, I feel like taking a step towards a certain path, you start seeing it as you're walking around the world, right? So then I started saying, oh, there's a meditation class or, oh, here's some yoga. And I'd taken yoga in college, like a course that time once, but it hadn't stuck. So I started just being like, okay, let me, yeah, let me, now I'm interested over here. Let me go to this yoga class. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. Vegetarianism. Yeah. I tried to be vegetarian in college and it hadn't really worked. I was more of a carbitarian. I was like, oh, let me try. And, you know, literally at an Indian restaurant with my friends was like, took a bite of chicken and got really disgusted. I was like, okay, I'm vegan. They were like, right now? I'm like, yes, as of right now. And so at that <laughs> moment, I, so I just became, I came on this journey and that connect with Queen Afua, who taught me all about like live living foods. And 
So it was a process of really, I feel like physically cleansing my body and my spirit. And the beauty of it was that when I would come home from college, my mother would veganize all of the Mexican recipes, Mm. right? So if she was making enchiladas, she would make mine with like spinach or lentils. She was making tofu or making mole, she'd make mine with tofu, right? Like, so there was a way in which I didn't feel like I had to choose between my culture and this new way of being that I was trying to reclaim. And the flip side was that Will and I were on a very similar journey as a couple, and we're a Black and Mexican couple. We were often the only people of color in these spaces, in a yoga class, at a health food store. And there was a way in which, oh my God, you're trying to be white, right? There was this narrative of like healthy meant white. For me, it was like, actually, we are a really broke young couple and rice and beans are a hella cheaper than meat, right? (laughs) There was a way in which there was like, it was other people's versions of what that meant, right? Because they were in a space of like healthy eating meant, or not even healthy veganism meant a certain thing because that's what you would see in the vegan restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. And our quote, traditional foods as Mexican are so animal-based, even though there's a very, very rich, tradition of fruits and vegetables in our diets, right? Like you can go to a fruteria and like licuados, like those are actually part of like the first smoothie bars I ever went to were like Mexican fruterias, right? Like growing up in Mexico, right? So it wasn't this like, yeah, it's a wellness cream juice. Like that was actually part of our culture. And so that process, it was so important for me to feel like I could still be deeply connected to my culture and decolonize in a way that because it was still a wellness industry, I felt like I was still going into more wider spaces, right? And so that journey was something I feel like really reconnected me to me. So by the time I would say maybe six months in of really committing, everyday meditating, doing yoga, eating really well, I was asked to be a diversity trainer for Columbia University, like their incoming students for the grad program that following fall. And so you had to do the training over, like you had to, as a participant, part of your training, or as a, as a trainer, part of your training was to be a participant again in the training. And I remember the first time that I had done the training, I had rated myself really low in like power and privilege scales and in these different activities that they had. When I came back, my ratings, self ratings were totally different, but yet mm-hmm. nothing had changed externally, right? Columbia mm-hmm. was still Columbia. People were still doing how, how you know, being who they were going to be and yeah. acting how they were going to act. But I had shifted. And that's when I realized my liberation was an inside job. Mm. And once I felt deeply secure in who I was and had practices that grounded me and connected me to me, to my culture, the richness that I come from, to my ancestors, that was my definition of power and leadership. And you couldn't touch that. That was mine. And then I could be stronger to try to go and then change and interact with systems of wanting to change them. Right. But that's where it started. And it was in 96. I love that story so, so much. And as you're saying that, like, I really see that how you do that now, where it doesn't matter where Marla is. Marla is Marla. There is no shift or change. And I think that is what I'm finding in this, this series of interviews I've been doing is the the more that we reconnect to our roots and who we are, it's almost like we really strengthen that sense of self. And so when those roots are thick, when those roots are grounded, it doesn't really matter what's happening around us, right? We can navigate it Mm -hmm. in such a different way than before. 
Absolutely. Right. And there's something that you become deeply tethered to. Right. And that's how I feel like, you know, like a buoy, like you're, you're tethered, you, you can move and you're going to sway with the, the hits that come, but you're still deeply grounded and connected to who you are and where you come from. And that those are portals of power for us. And that for me is like when I support women of color leaders, that's the work. It's like, let's go through these portals together. And so that you can heal this reconnection. And then you're, you're tethered in a very different way. Your work really centers around working with women of color, supporting them on their healing journey in their personal and professional lives. And you also brought up in your story of how, you know, things have changed, but I don't think they're where they could be around healing spaces and empowerment spaces, yeah. right? They, oh my God, I can't imagine what they were like in 96, like, yeah, right. Hella whitewash, but of course, culturally appropriating yeah. all of these ideas. Um, totally. And it's, it's still not where it could be. And so I want to hear about like your journey in doing the work you do now and also just how you, this, I mean, it's two questions, really how you navigate or navigated those really white spaces that are very, where there is some, because I think what's tough about it is there is some gold within that, right? Yoga practice, mindfulness, all of these things. And then sometimes those spaces can also be harmful. Right. So how did you navigate that? Right. And then also then I feel like the work you do now really addresses what you experienced then. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing about me is I am always going to find my people. Like (laughs) that is my superpower. I am going to find my Mm -hmm. people. And I fully believe is every space is mine to be in. I am from this earth and from this land, very specifically on this. You don't define the space. I define my space. and. When I would be in those yoga classes, if there was one person of color, I would go be right next to them and connect with them. Like I'm someone who is going to be, hey, how are you doing? My name is Marla. Like I will find my people, right? And if there wasn't, I still had my people. Like I roll deep with a group of women of color. That is who I roll with. That's who I've, that is my like deepest love and source of power and support, right? There was a doctor, um, her name is Dr. Kimberly Richards. And she is the executive director of the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. And I'd taken an Undoing Racism workshop with her maybe like, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. And in the workshop, she was talking about when people of color ascend the corporate ladder, it is critical that we are deeply connected to our culture and like whose we are and where we come from. Because if not, that culture tries to overtake us and wants us to be like them. And that always stuck with me because that's the work. When people come to me, it's because they've had to put on these masks and try to be different people. And they're reckoning with the fact that I am not who I am in these spaces anymore. And I can no longer tolerate that, right? So before I started Culture of Agency in its current form, right? That is very specifically about centering the holistic leadership development of women of color. I was working with a girlfriend that we were going to start something together. And we realized that we had two different true Norths. My true North was really about a woman of color and her true North was much more about organizations. And so we decided to split ways amicably and it was okay. When I made the choice, which was a really hard choice to center my business around women of color. And it was a hard choice, not because It was the dream that wouldn't let me go. Like I knew I had to do it, but I was so scared because I did not think that we would pay for it. 
I didn't think people would show up. I didn't think we would invest in ourselves. And I remember this is, I, I want to say it was in 2015, 2016. So this is before people were really talking about women of color and our leadership and really centering us, right? I was afraid that people weren't going to show up. I had to do my own kind of releasing of those limiting beliefs to be able to get clear with like, but this is mine to do. And it was the dream that would not let me go. The day after I made the decision to say, this is what I'm doing. Culture of agency will stand for women of color. That is a stake in in the ground that I'm putting in. The next day I got my first coaching client, Mm. literally. And from there, the floodgates opened, right? I'm really blessed to have a really successful business. What happened was that it evolved over time. So I followed my joy. I was working with a coach at a time and she gave me the challenge to create my program of no return, the point of no return. And what that meant was that people would forever be changed by a program they had created. They could never go back to old ways of being. So Mm -hmm. she said, create that. And I did. I created a program called Ignite Your Shift. I rented out a beautiful ranch. I lived in Texas at the time. It was this like boho chic artist ranch. We had eight women come through. And it was an immersive weekend with me. I brought in a vegan chef. There was uh, meditation and yoga and all these uh, mindset shift workshops and real ritual and healing. Mm. It was like the launch pad for three months of coaching. And it was my first real offering that was like for groups and people showed up. So in following the work, right? And saying, I'm going to stand for one of color. I was blessed and that someone reached out to me to work with a tech company that I actually had re-met. We had met 20 years prior and we re-met and she wanted me to do a a workshop for this tech company that was in uh, the Ivory Coast. And I did it. And they asked me to be an executive coach in the company. And so what I was finding was that all the women of color that I was supporting, badass, fierce, brilliant, were coming into the space with me, so burnt out, having experienced so much trauma, having to heal from the toxicity of working in this institution that we had to do that healing work first before we could do other work that was going to really take them forward. Whereas I felt like the white women were coming in and saying, oh, I I really want to do my leadership development and I want to be a thought leader and we could work on strategy quicker. And so through that, I ended up working with the head of coaching of that company and we created an inclusive coaching program. And so what I realized is that I brought my soul and my purpose into the business. And when you're an entrepreneur, typically you are the soul of the business right? And your your purpose becomes the purpose of the business. And I would say that I, over the last four or five years, I've had to separate those out and realize that culture of agency has its own soul that it wants to be. And I have my own soul that it wants to be. And so through that work, I realized that I also wanted to help impact the systems that were creating the toxicity, right? So I created this inclusive leadership program that's called DBFI, Disrupt Bias Foster Inclusion. We work with senior executives and CEOs and chair people and leadership teams to do the deep work of decolonizing, of understanding how white supremacy shows up in organizations. And I have a cadre of coaches. We, we create a curriculum, we have worksheets. We really support a team going through this process because we're raising critical consciousness for an organization and have a, a cadre of, team, of coaches who do that work. So culture agency now actually works more on the system level. And I still do my coaching with one color. And that's like the retreats and the one-on-ones, right? But it took 
having to look at like what my fears were. Because let me tell you, I had been walking around this dream for like two, three years before I I said yes, right? Because it was so scary. And so for me, it's been about like saying yes to the dream, really deeply connecting with like my community to feel level of support. Like I am a sister circle woman, like, you know, true, (laughs) true and through. Like I am somebody who's going to, is a community builder and I'm going to find my people. And I am the one who's going to always reach out. Like, girl, let's go to lunch. Let's do it. Because I need it for myself. And then other folks need it as well. And so having that huge support from the community and also my family structure, right? Like my partner and I, we both, I mean, he's a, a really fabulous artist and we've been together at this point, what we just had our 24th wedding anniversary. We've been together almost oh 28 years. Congratulations. Year. Thank you. But our guiding value as a, as a couple is freedom. And people mm. are like, oh, does that mean like open marriage? I was like, hell no, I don't mean open marriage. I mean, no shade <laughs> for those who do, right? Like, I know yes. life, I got, I've got some girls who are, that's their life. That's awesome. For us, that's not the thing, but it means go and be free. Mm. Like, do the work you've got to do. Go and travel. Go away, Marla, for that retreat for that week. Like, Will, go and do the tours you should do, right? Like, be free, be fully alive and mm. present for the other parts of your life because it just makes our life together that much richer, you know? So we're really committed to that as a family. For me, it's been that journey of like making sure that from my personal temple, I'm deeply caring for myself. And then my communal relationships, my familial relationships, my relationships with land and nature, like I need that. That is a deeply portal for me to reconnect, right? My ancestor and spiritual portal. So it's not an easy answer, right? But it's it's become just like my lifestyle. That that ancestor altar that I started, you know, almost 30 years ago, I got still in my room, right? Like it's mm. it's something that I've had that I've taken every single place I go. So it's it's become much more of a lifestyle. It isn't just a one and done for me. It's just so beautiful. And I think the themes I'm hearing there, right, are are so connected to how our ancestors were in that it's communal. It's communal with our community with nature with and it's also what i love about this and and again this theme that i'm hearing with these interviews is that also when you are in this mindset of decolonizing yourself decolonizing your life you're allowing your dreams to also evolve because i think mm-hmm. the very colonial way is this is marla's doing this this is her agency this is what she does this is all she will do yeah. and instead for you it's this like constant expansion which is Ex- really exciting, but also kind of yeah. terrifying because yeah. you don't know what spirit's going to whisper to you tomorrow. Yeah. But it's following that. Yeah. And it's really scary, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like it's really interesting. There's such a, um, I would say, what's the word I want to use? It's not as a push, but I'll just use that because I can't think of a better one right now, but a push to kind of know your purpose, mm-hmm. right? Or a pull to know your purpose. And I deeply believe in that. Like I'm, I'm clear on what I'm here to do. And yet in many indigenous cultures, like that's such a Western concept, right? Of like purpose, quote unquote. Like I'm no, and I'm looking at a tree as I'm, I'm talking to you outside this window. I'm like, I'm no important than that tree or that butterfly mm-hmm. or that four-legged creature, right? Because we're all part of this ecosystem. And I think that allowing yourself to evolve mm is being in tune with like the cycles of nature, right? 
And my next iteration is a book. And it's scary. And I feel like I'm having to do so much healing work around am I enough? Mm. Right? Am I authentic enough to do this and say what I need to say? And that comes from like old wounds. And I feel like it comes from deep colonial wounds, right? Where ultimately so much has been stripped from us that the reclaiming can feel scary. And I do believe in having mentors. So Asana Makaru, who went by D back then, she was a mentor. But I also then studied with the curandera, Maestra Elena Avila, a very renowned curandera who is no longer with us. Um, I was her apprentice for four years. Mm-hmm. And I deeply believe that there are, are traditions that are passed on, right? And ways of working and medicine, traditional medicine. And I also believe that it can evolve as well. But there's some tenets that you have to stay true to. And that it is a real deep practice and calling to hold space for other people. Mm-hmm. And it's you have to build your skill to do that because you can create a lot of harm if you don't, right? Yeah. And so I do feel like it's so important to be steeped in tradition, but also allow it to fully evolve. But you've got to be steeped in your mastery. And that just takes time, right? That's a function of time, period. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and getting enough reps in during that time, right? And that I feel is so critical because it can be very dangerous given the world we live in and the access that we have to lots of people. So while Instagram, like you and I have met, I've met so many amazing women that we've just connected with DMs that we're meeting in real life or having phone calls. Like it's so phenomenal. And yet there is that danger of who's holding space for you? What are you really purchasing? Who are their teachers? How have they been vetted? Like that's an incredibly important piece. And I'm not trying to instill fear, come from like a colonized place of that, that they have to have degrees or that's not the place I'm coming from, but rather who are their teachers? How much, how, uh, what are the traditions that they come from? Can they name those traditions that they're coming from? How long have they been doing it? How many reps are they getting in? Because that just is, that's a critical piece to people's uh, being safe and healing. I can't agree with you more. And I think also something I see in you and something I really believe in is it's a constant privilege to hold space and to understand what a privilege it is, what a courageous act it is for the other person to trust you. Mm-hmm. And that's also something I sometimes don't see with a lot of space holding right now and people just kind of coming into spaces with their ideas and practices, which, which may be helpful and I think that comes from being in community with with mentors and understanding mm-hmm. this deep, 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 deep privilege of getting to do this work. And whenever I've been in space with you, Marla, I have felt I have felt that deep presence. Mm-hmm. That's Thank just, you. yeah, so, so rooted, which again, comes back to all this practice you've done over the years of really rooting, rerooting yourself. Absolutely. I appreciate you just reflecting that back to me because it's been a journey. And I think that, we have, hopefully, we come from families that love us and support us. And yet we all have our own woundings that come from those yeah. systems, right? And that they have their woundings that come from those systems. And, you know, the lineage goes back. And our colonial wound is very deep. And sometimes we don't see it, like, as such, right? Yes. And the reclaiming can bring that up for folks and for your family members. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> One, before we kind of close out, I really want you to write that book selfishly. Thanks. So, because I know with 
anyone who has listened to this conversation gets it, gets the Marla thing. Like it's just, there's this well of wisdom um, and stories inside there that I just, I would love to experience. I know others really would want to as well. But the, the final thing I kind of want to ask is one, I think this process of decolonizing isn't just for folks of color, marginalized folks. It's for, for all folks, right? We, we Mm -hmm. all, we all are colonized regardless of our background or experience or culture. What would you say to someone who's like curious about doing this, curious about tipping, dipping their toe into it? What kind of advice or reflections, what would you offer to them? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a, a niece kind of reach out, but she's like a cousin, daughter of a cousin. And she was asking me that question. And I felt like, oh my God, I feel like I'm getting into other status to like share that information. <laughs> it was so cute. But the, your, your question has brought me there. Um, what I suggested to her and I would suggest to any of your listeners is start with your family. Start with like interview people in your family and like the stories of your family. Who were those grandparents or great-grandparents? What were they into? And for example, like I learned that like my dad's mother was a huge gardener. Like my mom was like, she had this total green thumb. I had no idea about that, right? Because I'm not really connected to my dad's side of the family. And so there's something like, oh, wow, like I have a total green thumb, right? Or like my great grandmother who was from Los Cabos, like she was an amazing cook. I'm a really damn good cook, right? And she just had, she would grow medicinal plants in her yard, right? So there's practices that, well, so you can approach as like, I am quote gardening or no, this is actually an ancestral practice that I'm really reconnecting with these folks that are directly from my lineage. I would also encourage you to set up an altar, right? Like Mexicans, we have a very rich kind of custom of, of Dia de los Muertos, but it goes beyond that one day celebration, but everybody has ancestors, right? And so you can set up a space that honors them with pictures. Don't put folks who are alive, alive on there, but put folks who have only have passed. And you could put, you know, some flowers, a candle, some water, an air element, some feathers. You can bring in, I love the beach, right? So when I had my first altar, which you know, I still have this here, like I have seashells on it, right? I have things that connected me to parts of like just where I came from and sit in front of it right? Like just literally sit in front of it, light a candle, sit in front of it and just talk to them, right? Like my brother, my oldest brother passed away in 2019 and it took me about a month to put him on the ancestor altar. Like I just wasn't ready. And then when I did, I felt like we had a whole new relationship. Like it felt so clean because it wasn't tethered to this body anymore. So there's so much healing that can happen in that space, but a lot of it is just like they're waiting for you to just sit there and connect with them and just be in silence, right? Mm -hmm. So like I would, every morning I'll sit there, I light a candle, I sit there in silence. I mean, I have specific rituals that I'll do, but then it's about what do you need to tell me today? Like, what do I need to know? And I will get information. And what I want you to really bestow is that trust what you hear. Yeah. Right. The hearing doesn't mean like you might hear an audible voice. I mean, you may hear an audible voice, but it's really about like, what are the messages that you're getting? Like, you've got to start trusting that. And for me, that's the practice is like, it's building your intuition again, that there are other ways of knowing. Mm. And from the colonized perspective, we needed a priest to connect us to God or to, right. Mm. That, that there was an, there was an intermediary. 
And what I want to offer is that you can have your own connection to spirit, to your ancestors, right? Especially to those who've who've already spoken your name on this plane. Like you have a connection with them. Like you've breathed around the same air that they've been in, right? So the practices are really simple, but they can be incredibly profound. And then look at the food that you're eating, right? Like our food system is crazy in this country. The more that you can get back to things that come from the land, what are the the recipes from your family? Maybe you start with the quote traditional ones and then peel back the layers, right? Like do the research. There's so the beauty of now is that you can really do research at your fingertips and it's phenomenal, right? Like I just, uh, my daughter and I in Los Angeles, which I did not know there was this museum, say menu for Mesoamerican cuisine. It's called wow. La Plaza Cocina. And we took an indigenous veganism class and wow. it was it was a two-part class. The first one was lecture with a little bit of tasting. And the second one was a food-based class. And it was awesome. I, I knew a lot of the actual food stuff, but then to get this whole other rich like anthropological study, it was phenomenal. Wow. And like, I've gone to now this chef's house and we've ha- had food there and her food is amazing, but it's all indigenous veganism, mm. right? Like what was here before colonization period, right? So th- so I, I want, I'm just sharing that as an example that there are scholars out there doing the work mm. and they may be closer to you than you think. I love that. The practice of this daily practice of reminding yourself who you are, where you come from, really reconnecting to self. And then the ways in which we nourish ourselves, really looking at that and reconnecting that to where we come from. It's just, ugh. I'm like, I'm taking notes right here, Marla. I'm like, after this... <laughs> <laughs> like I'm gonna go Google search a lot of things right now. <laughs> yeah, but that's the beauty. You can, yes. right? <laughs> you can exactly, exactly. Marla, before we close our conversation, please let the folks know where they can find you, how they can find you, if you have anything coming up around the corner. Yeah. So I think the easiest way right now is to go on my Instagram. It's at Marla Teolia. I am in the process of really actually finally marketing myself <laughs> because the beauty is that I haven't had to, right? Which is I'm, I'm super thankful for, but I am also just starting to be like, okay, Marla, now that you're going to put something else out in the world, you might have to shift that. So start there. Um, we also have our website, cultureshift.agency. And then lastly, I am running a retreat called Pause and Press Play. And you can go to pauseandpressplay.com. I have a co-facilitator, Crystal McCreary. This is our fourth annual. I don't know if we can say annual anymore because it was supposed to, our fourth one was supposed to be like 2020, but we had we to We don't stop. count COVID years. We don't count COVID. Okay, annual. there we go. It's <laughs> okay, okay, got it. But it's our fourth annual pause and press play, um, rejuvenation retreat for women of color, and it's our joy is liberation edition. So it's going to be happening in Mexico on the beach one week. I want to say we may have one spot, maybe two spots available, but it's going to be filled with ritual with breath work with yoga with you know sweat lodges hiking it's going to be awesome and it's going to be a week and that is june 24th to july 1st so if you're interested in that definitely get on it and i think that's about it oh and i am actually i do have to say i literally just downloaded my tiktok and it's like og healer mommy so i'm just saying (laughs) 
<laughs> you might want to go there because there might end up being more content there. Who knows? <laughs> I love it. I love it. We'll have everything also in the show notes. But Marla, thank you so, so much. I so recommend following Marla, getting on all of her lists. She's just one of the lights and really who is just embodying what she talks about. And just, you know, like that's what I'm like. I'm like, look to the people that really speak to you and really authentically live their lives and go just be in their orbit. And that is you, Marla, whether it's working with you, mentoring with you, or just following you on Instagram. It's so inspiring in all of the ways. So thank you for the work that you do. And thank thank you. you. Thank you for this conversation. I appreciate you so much. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.